so grateful that you're carving out some time uh, to gather together around God's word. I want to invite you to come with me to Romans uh, chapter 14. I uh, want to dive right into this text. Uh, it's verse, verse 14, or chapter 14, excuse me, verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Verse seven, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whenever or whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Verse 12, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. And now, God, we pray to the best of our abilities, you would help us to push away, God, the responsibilities, the, the things that are vying for our attention that need us to act and do. God, we, we push those away for a few moments that we might gather with your spirit around your word so that we might continue to be formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of others. God, we love you, and we give you all the praise and all the glory um, for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Paul's continuing to um, help this church in Rome uh, get past some of their differences. We've talked about this before, where, where the church is, is made up of a variety of different backgrounds, namely the Gentiles and the Jews. But those backgrounds are not just different terms. They're different approaches to life. They're, they're different um, speeds. There's different rhythms. They are different. And so what Paul's been saying to them for the balance of this letter, and it's very much so in the last maybe handful of chapters, is he's been really pushing on them that the call is to unity, that the church should be and is required by God 
to be unified. We, we should not have division. We should not have, have parts where we are divided against because of small disagreements or preferences is what we really land on in, in this text here. And I think this is a great word um, for our church. I think it's a great word for us as individuals on how we should frame our minds, how we should frame our thoughts um, on matters of, of conscience, on matters of non-essential things. You see in this text already, Paul's talking about diet. He's talking about observing certain days and he's talking about drinking. Now, some of those things, uh, they directly sort of translate to us now. We could, we could consider them, we can think about them. But what I would love for you to do during this kind of time that we're around this text is begin to think about what are some areas in your life, what are some areas in my life, where we have maybe elevated non-essential things, and maybe it's caused us to be judgmental. Maybe it's caused us to be um, adversarial against people in the body of Christ. Maybe in your circle. More often than not, though, they're gonna be people outside of your circle. Because here's another tragic thing that happens uh, in churches. It happens probably in our church even, as much as we would like it not to, it's one of the things that we have to work on. We have to work on not just having circles that we um, kind of gather together based on agreements. So much of our life is about getting together with people who think like us, talk like us, act like us, even look like us. What we want to do is break down those sort of dividing lines and understand that we want to rid our lives of this sort of picking people apart based on differences, based on their liberty and our conviction and vice versa. Paul's dealing with this in the Roman church and I just want to invite us um, to begin to do the same thing uh, in our lives and I think it will be helpful. I think it's important for us also to note that while Paul's talking here in chapter 14 of Romans about diet, he's talking about days, he's talking about, about drinking, I want us to remember that back in Acts chapter 15, the church at that time had met and gathered because there was this, this sort of revolution happening uh, among them, that this was not just the Jews that were finding faith in Jesus. It was not just those that the promise of God had come to, but it was also the Gentiles. The Gentiles were getting saved, and, and the, the Jews at that time, they couldn't believe that the Gentiles we're being saved. It, 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 would, it would be for us to, to have a person in mind that we might see as an impossibility to get saved, or we might see them as so distant and unaware of God that we just couldn't imagine them finding Jesus or Jesus finding them, however you want to say that. It, it would be that type of surprise. It was that type of shock, bewilderment. Some of them were even probably a little bit angsty, because they had found peace in knowing that they were chosen. And some of the things that happen in our life, we love exclusivity because not only does it give us value, but it, abs it has to, in order for it to give us value, exclusivity has to not include people. And in that, if we're not careful, we'll begin to take joy that we're chosen and someone isn't. And so what this church in Acts chapter 15 is experiencing is really going through and figuring out what does it look like to make room 
for the Gentile Christians? What does it look like to make room for those that think differently, act differently, look differently, are from different backgrounds? And what they land on is, is what were some things from the law that had to come over? What were some things that had to continue to be practiced so that they could, they could be welcomed in? And, and I want you to, to, to hear what, what transpires. Because one of the big things they were talking about at that time wasn't diet, wasn't days, wasn't drinking. They were talking about circumcision. Circumcision is at the core of the, of the Jewish faith. It was, it was something that was so, so important, so valued. And here's where they landed in chapter 15 of, of Acts. That the Gentile Christians did not have to become circumcised in order to be followers of Jesus. So something so massive, they had landed to the place that that did not have to kind of transfer in. They didn't have to follow that. Well, now you find us in Romans chapter 14. They've moved on from the massive parts of their spirituality and their faith. They, they've gotten past some of those big deals, and now they're getting into a sense of like daily living and what does their life look like. And I want us just to see and take caution because this happens in your life and in mine as well. We may resolve some of the big things, but then we find ourselves being very, very nitpicky or even controlling or judgmental of ourselves and others on some of these smaller, non-essential things. And I think it's because we misunderstand Christian maturity. I think it's because we mis misunderstand that what is binding all of this together, what's holding all of this together is love. And in light of what Christ has done, Paul says to this church, look at what Christ has done. It, has, it was his sacrifice. It was his death. It was his resurrection. It's his return that's putting all things together. So let's make sure that we are not elevating other things beyond this. I want you to write down, if you're taking notes with me, that the weak and the strong are welcome. Look at the language that Paul uses, the weak and the strong. He says, as for the one, in verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. What a, what a strong word. What I want us to see here, though, is when it talks about faith here, it's not talking about belief. It's not talking about trust in Jesus for salvation. What it's talking about here in terms of their weakness is in their ability to be offended easily. Now think about this in terms of where you and I are right now. Do you consider yourself weak or strong in your faith? Now let's look at it in terms of in light of this, of this text. Are you easily offended? Do you find yourself getting offended quickly? Because according to what Paul says in this text, if we take on offense quickly, we are actually weak in our faith. This is speaking to a sense of maturity. It's speaking to a sense of, of being able to navigate life with Jesus in Christ with one another in such a way that it doesn't keep us in a perpetual state of offense. I, I don't know if you feel this kind of happening in culture, but it, it, seems, it seems this way to me. It seems that we are living in a day and a time where we're invited into a hyper and an overwhelming sense of being offended 
at everything. Now listen to me, I think that there are valid reasons to be offended. I think there are moments in lives, in our, in our lives where we can be offended. What I wanna to talk to us about is Christian maturity is saying that we have to move past being offended and be careful that we don't live in a per- perpetual state of offense. That perpetual state of offense will keep us on guard. It will keep us in a constant battling position. And it's hard to have love and unity when we're fighting or when we're quarreling. What Paul says to them is accept the one whose faith is weak. When conviction is the problem. And listen to me, sometimes conviction is a problem because you don't have any. Sometimes it's a difficult thing. You don't have any conviction in your life. Sometimes conviction is a problem because you're convicted over everything and you shouldn't be. What Paul's saying here in this text is that there are some that are weak in the faith. And some that he's talking about that are weak in the faith may be the actual Jewish believers in this church. So the ones that had been in longer are the ones that are having the difficulty because they are majoring on minors. They're so concerned and they're so worried about doing the wrong thing that it is actually becoming bothersome in their life. Now listen to what the text says. The text tells us and reminds us that we are to make space and room for both the weak and the strong and neither are to quarrel to one another. Here's a great word for us. We should leave room for the Holy Spirit to mature those around us in the same way that they've given space for the Holy Spirit to mature us. The beautiful thing and also the challenging thing about a local church, about a local body of believers like ours, is there are people in our church, in our community, who have been serving God longer than some of us have been alive. That is amazing. But there's a challenge that comes with that. Because what is normative practice to them that has been developed over time and the maturing of their faith is not going to be the same place that a person who is just stepping into the community where they're going to be at. And so what this passage says to us in a very practical way is that we've got to make space for those that have been on the journey for a long time, for those that are new to this. And in these places where it's not essential, where it's not doctrine that we are struggling with, grappling with, that we are considering, where these are just non-essentials. It's just part of of life where there is latitude in this. Maybe we would even say this is kind of some gray area that we can find our footing in. And there are some of you where gray area is very, very difficult. You like things black, white. You you like it to be a sense of very clear cut, right, wrong, left, right. And then there are some of us that love gray. They want to push gray so far to the extremes that you lose any sense of left, right, right, wrong. You know, there's a sense where we have to be very, very careful because all three of those shades are a part of our reality. There are things, friends, that are crystal clear, right, wrong, yes, no. 
But then there are some other things where we have to leave space for the Holy Spirit to help us weigh out. And it may be a matter of personal conviction, not scriptural mandate for all. And here's what I find, and I mentioned this earlier. When we misunderstand Christian maturity, what we tend to do is we take our personal convictions and we want to make them communal commandments. We want to make them the the thing that everyone has to live by, and it very well may be a conviction that the Lord has placed on us, not on the community. And we've gotta have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit where we can weigh those out, but that's also not just a feely sort of exercise. There is some sort of practical things that we can do to make sure we have that in place, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the weak and the strong are welcome. He says, accept those whose faith are weak. And he also says, do so without passing judgment on the disputable matters. In other words, Paul doesn't want the church to become a debating center or a place for argument. And so here's something that I would love to to just encourage you to embrace in your life. Don't argue with people. Pray with them. Rather than getting into debates over things like this, why don't you spend that time and that energy in prayer? Why don't you spend that time and energy in your relationships coming together from different points of view and praying that God would move or praying for one another or praying for the community that you find yourself in? I'm just committing my life to spending less time arguing and more time praying because I believe that the prayer will produce more than a win or a loss in an argument. I'm just committed to that. I'd love for you to be committed to that as well. Another thing I want us to keep in mind is many people will take part of Paul's teaching in the letter to the Roman church and they will extrapolate it out. They will pull it out and then they will hold it up And they'll use it to either justify or condemn certain behaviors, certain attitudes. And what I want to remind us is we have to take the letter of Romans in its entirety. Meaning, I have to read Romans 14 in light of Romans 13, Romans 12, Romans 9, the beginning of Romans. So so hear me on this. If we're not careful, what we'll do is use a passage like this and we'll use our life just hunting for the liberties. Finding the gray space where I can do what I want because it feels comfortable. Maybe I don't have conviction. Maybe I'm just ignorant about some things. So I can live in that that ignorance and I can call it bliss. But what we have to remember is Paul has already talked to this church about some pretty strong things. He's already resolved some things for them being repentance as a part of Christian maturity a turning away from, a changing of our mind. He's talked about righteousness. He's talked about holiness. He's talked about a sense that we are justified by grace, not our efforts or our works. All of that has to inform the way in which we deal, think about, consider these disputable things. Some of them were hung up on diet. Some of them were hung up on this this fear that what they were eating might not have been prepared according to the law. And so they were concerned, much like what Paul deals with in the first Corinthian uh, letter, where he basically says, listen, I know some of you are concerned that the, the meat kind of going around in town was potentially used 
and, and sacrifices to pagan gods. And somehow it's ended up in the restaurant you're sitting at and you're nervous about that. Paul says not to be concerned with that, just as he says here in chapter 14, but then also gives allowance that there may be some people in the community that they can't get there. There may be some people in the community that are having a difficult time with that. And Paul says, make room for them. Practical application, make room at your table for your friend who's on keto. We all have a friend who's on keto. We all have a friend who talks about how great it is and how wonderful it is. Listen to me, stop trying to convert me to keto. I like bread, not doing it. I want a whole sandwich, not a sandwich wrapped in lettuce. I digress. But in matters of diet, you can't take your position on keto or your position on being a vegan and now elevate this to some sort of spiritual commandment. We gotta be careful that we don't take the things that we're passionate about and now lord them over other people, especially especially when the, the scriptures are clear that those sort of things have nothing to do with our salvation. There are others that are, that are still celebrating. They're following along the calendar. They're celebrating and worshiping on days, even to the Sabbath. Paul's saying this, the big thing is not keeping the days in the way that it was constructed in the calendar. That's no longer giving you access. That's no longer bringing you in right relationship with God. What he says is that we're living our life devoted to God. It means that for some of you, your Sabbath rest is going to happen at a different time than when the calendar Sabbath actually lands. And according to Paul, that's fine. What he wants you to do is to enter into God's rest. He wants you to enter into relationship with God and not get hung up on these sort of ritualistic behaviors that can strip away from relationship. Hear me on this, friends. Jesus desires that we have relationship, not that we move through ritual, not that we hang on to religion, but that we have a relationship with God. Some of the people in the Roman church, they had a difficulty with drinking wine. Some of you don't have that problem. Your problem's the other side of it. You drink too much wine, chill out with that. But what Paul's saying here is listen, don't allow this to become something that you quarrel over. I know in some churches that you guys might've grown up, I know in the places that I grew up, drinking was really a very taboo thing. And based on where you were kind of geographically in the country, you may, you may kind of identify that. Some of you hear that and you go, what in the world? This is precisely what Paul's dealing with. Some of us have a liberty in a place. Some of us don't. Paul says, stop focusing on that and get back to the matter of hand, which is unity, which is love for one another. And then Paul reminds the church. The second thing I love you to write down is simply this, is that being in Christ is greater than all of this. Being in Christ is where our focus should be. Verse seven and eight is such a wonderful reminder for none of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Meaning this, your life is not your own. It is not about you. There are things in your life that depend on you, but they're not about you. Being part of a community of faith, 
Having this unity is recognizing that my care for the people to the left and to the right of me has to be greater than my desire to experience the things I have a freedom over. Listen to me, here's what the Bible says about the church. If there's something in your life and in my life that's causing someone else to stumble, meaning it's inhibiting their maturing in the Christian faith. If there's a behavior, if there's something in my life that is keeping someone else from being able to move into the depth of their maturity, then I must remove the stumbling block from my friend. I would never want to have something in my life that I can enjoy, but it may cause someone else pain or hardship or would keep them from moving into a relationship with Christ. Don't you see what Paul's asking us to do as the church is to be the type of people that care more about each other than we care about our preferences, than we care about the things that we may have liberties in, that we would care about people more than we would care about winning arguments or positions. Don't you see the call of following Jesus is to lay down our life in the same way and manner that Jesus did. We sacrifice because Jesus did. We serve because Jesus did. We understand that Paul calls us to care for one another in this way. He wants us to focus on what matters most. What matters most. So in this text, we can see Paul offering us some doctrine throughout Romans. And, and I want to just give a, a kind of a word on this because I think some of this can help us. Whenever we're talking about things like, like non-essentials, it's always important for me then to point back to, man, what are the things that matter? What are the things that we should be focusing on? So whenever you hear that word theology, sometimes it can create a sense of concern, a sense of fear, or we think that theology is only a conversation for certain people. But listen to me, theology is an organized conversation about God. It's doing it in a way that there may be some organization to it. It may be abstract as well. And I want us to all understand on some level, we are all practicing theology. So we understand the connection between theology and doctrine. Doctrine is the description of truth found in the Bible. And so then theology is the process of arriving at that doctrine. You can see then the connection and the dance. Doctrine is the truth found in the Bible. It's how we organize it. Theology is the process, how we got there. And there are different approaches to theology. And I want you to think about this because some of you would, would slide or feel kind of, sort of at home and native in different ones of these. You have biblical theology, which is the unfolding of the truth that's specific to certain passages or books of the Bible. That's a biblical theology. Then you have historical theology that's looking at Christians throughout the centuries and it's synthesizing both biblical and historical and it's the way in which you think. Then systematic theology is taking a biblical and historical theology and it's beginning to organize the doctrines in a way in which we can grab hold of it. And let me give you just a couple of, of those doctrines. Let me invite you into just some, some good vocabulary, if you would. Here's some, some points of doctrine that we can think about, that we can study, that we should be aware of, that even us, as we mature in our faith, we should spend some time in these and get to know 
what the Bible says about these different areas. You have the doctrine of God. You have Christology, which is the doctrine of Christ. You have pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You have angelology, which is the doctrine or the study of angels. And this even includes Satan and demons. You have anthropology, which is the study or the doctrine of man. Harmatology, the doctrine of sin. Soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church. And then you have eschatology, which is the doctrine of the last things. You say, Charlie, this is getting boring. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm saying this to you, and I want you to hear my heart on this. I think one of the greatest faults and flaws in our churches today is that we've relegated these conversations to only a few people. And we haven't said, these are the conversations that, that the church, that the body of Christ, that we should be leaning into on our own, in groups, in large moments even like this, where we're reminded that biblical, historical, systematic theology and even practical theology, which practical theology is getting us to have the correlation of theology to life's needs. This is what we do week in and week out. You may not have known this, but every time we gather, we are practicing theology. There's practical theology happening here and now where we are taking what the Bible says and we are bringing application into the places that we find ourselves in. You see, what Paul's calling the church to is unity. He's calling the church to understand what the essential beliefs are to be. It's what he's been unfolding up to this point. And now he's getting even into these sort of small categories in their lives. Hey, I don't want you to get tripped up on these because if you're not careful, these small sort of hangups that you have, these weaknesses that you have, they're going to damage unity. Paul says there's nothing greater or more important than having a unity in the body of Christ. And I want to close with, with this phrase. In essentials, we're to have unity. In the things that matter the most in our doctrines, we want to gather around them and we want to have unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In the non-essentials, we make room for people to enjoy based on or experience based on their level of faith and where they're at. But in all things, both the essentials and the non-essentials, we have love, we have charity. There is a sense for us, we want to be good with our Bibles so that we understand the essential things that we believe that we hold fast to. So that when we come to matters that are non-essential, we understand that this is a moment where there is some latitude. And we want to do that in love. I want to caution us, friends, because one of the temptations for us is to try to take that gray space and move it to the extremities, meaning this, we want to take a big giant eraser and remove essentials just so that we could live in liberty and hopefully have God co-sign our behavior. Listen to me, I wanna to close today with, with a little bit of, of some church history for us. Uh, it's the Apostles' Creed. Based on your upbringing in church, you may have been in a church where you recited this every Sunday and it felt boring to you. 
today I want to offer it to you, maybe in a renewed fashion. Maybe there's some of you that this will be the first time you've ever heard this. This is what what we would call a, a creedal statement. This is a statement that captures our beliefs. There was times in church histories that this would be a baptismal confession. Before someone would be baptized, they would declare this, meaning that their belief system was now being acted out in this moment of baptism. I see it now as a reminder of for the church of the things that matter the most. And with this today, church, I close. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of Father God Almighty. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of the sin, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Grace and peace, church. We love you so much. Man, what uh, an incredible sermon. And, and one thing I love about God's word and, and what it does in our lives and in our hearts is that it often elicits a response from us. Uh, and whatever that response for, for you may be, we wanna be a church that comes alongside uh, your responding back to God. Uh, and so for you, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you just need kind of a, a someone to walk alongside you in your journey. We wanna be that as a church for you, or maybe you're just trying to kind of figure this out and maybe you wanna test the waters a little bit and maybe you kind of just need a, a guiding voice in that. Let us know. We wanna be a church um, that, that affirms kind of your calling, affirms what God is doing in your life uh, and walks with you whatever the season may be. If that is you, feel free to reach out to us. Let us know there is a pastoral team ready to talk and pray with you uh, with whatever your journey may be. We love you, church, and we'll see you soon.